You're listening to Her Brilliant Health Radio, episode number 25. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to Her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN Dr. Kieran Dunstan shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Kieran here for another episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Today, please help me welcome my special guest, Dr. Duffy Spencer. I met Dr. Duffy several years ago at a conference, and we have pretty much stayed connected ever since. We have like minds about health and relationships, and I'll tell you a little bit about her. I'm really excited to have her on the show today. As a host of the WHPC Just Relationships radio show, Dr. Duffy Spencer specializes in helping people reduce unnecessary stress and take charge of their lives. Dr. Duffy is a licensed psychotherapist and social psychologist who specializes in self-esteem building and positive change management. She is the author of Spice, the essential ingredients for effective living, the host of the Relationship Doctor CD series, and co-author of Dealing with Difficult People and Leadership Strategies. Dr. Spencer counsels both individuals and couples in New York State and holds regular women's retreats. She, in my opinion, is a relationship expert and a relationship whisperer of sorts, so I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Duffy Spencer. I love that, Dr. Karen, relationship whisperer. Yes, it is so delicate. It is so delicate to take care of oneself and to be in relationship while still taking care of oneself, being responsive to the other, but not directed by the other. And when you asked me to come on your podcast, I... I thought the best way I can contribute to your beautiful work for women and my brilliant health and the whole idea of integrative and functional medicine is to look at the essence of self-care, which is what you're all about, uh, healthy self-care. And from my um, doctoral dissertation, specializing in women's studies and, and how women try to help themselves and sometimes wind up hurting themselves, Uh, for me, I think the key issue is resistance to self-care and why so many women are resistant to that. Now, it's no no accident that we think of self-care as selfish as women. And there's just so much to this, Kieran, that maybe you could ask me a question and I can go there. So many layers to this, Dr. Kieran. Yes, but I think you got right to the heart of what I wanted to talk to you about on this show, which is self-care for women. I was talking with a client last night about the fact that 25% of the people I work with and teach them about the tools of functional medicine and treating root cause of disease, take the tools I give them, their health 
skyrockets, improves, they get where they want to be, they never look back, their lives are changed forever. But 75% of women I find, and half of that group, they initially take all the tools, they're very excited to learn them, and they get lots of results so they know it works. And then they stop doing the things they know they need to do for their health, and they can't seem to figure out why they're stuck. And then the other half of that 75% never really picks up the tools because they're not willing to love themselves and nurture and care for themselves in the way that doing a functional medicine program requires. And so let's talk about, you said it right there, resistance. And I have one client in particular, I also spoke with her yesterday, very resistant. She'll eat well for a while and then she's off eating things that what I say aren't in her best interest. She'll exercise for a while, then then she won't do it, but she has time to do other things. Talk about the resistance. Why do we have that and what do we do about it? Well, first of all, Dr. Karen, you you are patients who have come to you and asked for help already are so far ahead of the game because they have the clarity, they have the um, willingness on one level to help themselves. But as a psychotherapist, I will tell you that we all have parts to ourselves. And I think that's a very, very important thing to look at because one part of the woman is gung-ho and says, "I, I deserve a life, I deserve to take care of myself, I am worthy, I have worth all of that, and I will love myself in the most active verb of that, of that word. Um, so that is already a whole jump ahead of women who label themselves as selfish, because if they do practice self-care and don't even get to the point of self-care. Now, when you go to the other uh, group that you talked about, they, they did it, they started it, and... Um, So there's a group who didn't start at all. There's the group who started and are successful and stay successful. They maintain what they have. Mm -hmm. And then there's the group that started, they're successful, and they don't. So if you look at the part of us that is a self-sabotaging part, not everyone has it, but a lot of people have a self-sabotaging part. And that can be the the old messages, the old cultural messages. You should be last on the list. You shouldn't you shouldn't take the time and the money and the resources to take care of yourself. There are many other things to do in in the world. And um, if women do take care of themselves, I find they often label themselves uh, selfish and they 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 feel guilty. They feel guilty. They're not allowed. So, so what does it take? It takes being willing to make a paradigm shift and saying, I declare myself worthy of care as I declare others worthy of care. And let's say you get to that point. Now you're dealing with subconscious habits, old routines, uh, you know, the brain has these neural pathways and we have that rut where the water would go down to the, in the path of least resistance. And that's how the brain works. We just take the easy, quick fix. And you combine that with the aspect of what I call fake self-care. Mm-hmm. 
And this is what the average person does. Fake self-care. Well, I feel bad. I feel lonely. I don't have a date on a Saturday night. No one invited me to a Super Bowl party. So I'm going to have my own little party of uh, booze or ice cream or cookies Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. So I'm going to take care of myself because nobody, nobody else is taking care of me. And unfortunately, you know, what do they say? Vice is nice, but liquor is quicker and, and, mm-hmm. and candy is dandy and all of that. So we have this quick fix and it is a negative win as opposed to a positive win. Negative win meaning it works in the short run, but not in the long run. And many people don't have the resources to stay in that place of loneliness sadness, grief, and working through that, being with our feelings, literally feelings are meant to be felt and to feel the feelings and to discover, guess what? I'm not going to die. I am not going to die if I feel grief, if I feel sadness, if I feel anger, if I even feel resentful and vengeful. I am not going to die, and it doesn't make me a terrible person. But, you know, Dr. Kieran, it gets so complex because I just want to say, and I know you have so many questions, but the idea we live in a feeling-phobic society. People are afraid to feel their feelings, to visit their feelings, especially, of course, painful feelings. They don't want to foist their painful feelings on others for fear of of being rejected. So I'll take care of myself. Thank you. I'll just go and drink that booze or I'll, I'll buy that new blouse to feel better. And that keeps us in that vicious cycle. So you've covered so many wonderful points. I just want to highlight a few things. So fake self-care, I love that term. So if you're actually doing something that's harming you, like eating a box of cook, a whole box of cookies, it may seem like you're taking, quote unquote, taking care of yourself because you may feel better in the short term, but you're really harming yourself. So you have to look at the actual activity. Another kind of fake care I see a lot of women do is, and, and it, there is some degree of satisfaction and need for this, but beautification. So oh, getting yeah. nails done, hair done, shopping, taking it. of the superficial things is another form of fake self-care in my opinion because it's not really doing the harder work of looking at what am I eating am I putting a cigarette to my lips and inhaling toxic fumes several times a day and what do I need to do about that am I exercising and moving am I expressing my emotions so thank you for bringing that up and I I so agree that we live in a feeling phobic society I, I do believe that the body is the outpicturing of the subconscious mind and the subconscious mind lives and deals in the world of feelings. And when we have these negative feelings and we don't allow them and give them air and give them voice and we stuff them, it's almost like I've even heard some patients say this to me when they stop acting out with food and overeating oh my God, I'm having a feeling. And they feel like the world is coming to an end because they haven't felt their feelings. So how do we ease into our bodies and give voice to those feelings and lean into them? 
Right, right. So, so boy, are you and I on the same wavelength, Dr. Kieran. So under fake self-care, we're looking at negative win self-care in terms of self-sabotage. And then we're looking at what you just referred to and what I call cosmetic self-care, cosmetic or superficial self-care, and how many women... Um, We'll get to that point, and there's a lot to be said for having pride in one's appearance. Um, but again, of course, it's the trappings and not the inner world. And then we're what we're doing is we're objectifying ourselves, and it's just another way to declare, I'm not really lovable for me. Uh, I don't know, did you ever come across that clip from, I believe it was, what is it, Frankie and Johnny, I don't, is uh, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. Frankie and Grace, that's the best clip ever. <laughs> that, that's the best clip ever where she takes off her false eyelashes and all her, her makeup and she takes out her hair, uh, extra hair uh, uh, strands and all of that. And she says, this is me. If you want this, this is me. And of course, he said, yes, I want it. I want you rather. Right. Um, and this is a scary thing for exposure, to expose oneself that way, and many women are hurt. I have one patient who lost 100 pounds, and she didn't have the money to, to have cosmetic surgery, to have her loose skin removed. So she finally found a guy who was attracted to her and she to him, and, and, and they went to bed, and he rejected her after that. And she was so devastated. That was two years ago. She hasn't gone near a man since. So, you know, Dr. Karen, we're not making this stuff up. We're not making it right. up. We come by it honestly because we're, we're socialized and raised in an environment where there certainly is for women and I think also for men, there's an ideal of what we are supposed to look like and what beauty is. I'm very excited to see that that ideal is changing. I actually interviewed recently on the podcast a woman who is what she calls a supersized, big, beautiful woman, and she's <laughs> I love her. She weighs over 350 pounds, and she has the best self-esteem of any woman I've come across right. in a long time. And so... I, I do believe that the um, values of our society are changing and that there really is a move towards self-acceptance and self-love no yeah. matter what you look like, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. And I see my daughter's generation coming up now and they have uh, mm -hmm. tremendous self-esteem. And this is interesting. It's, it's, it's really the close cousin of the fat is beautiful movement. And I was talking to someone, uh, uh, someone about the fat is beautiful movement the other day. And he said, Oh, I'm completely against that because it's so unhealthy and, uh, and fat is so unhealthy and to glorify fat is, is not good. And I completely agreed with him. I said, yes, that is our goal is to, is to not have excess uh, fat storage that we don't need, and uh, we don't we don't we don't value aesthetically. Um, however, we have to be at that point where we accept all of us, all of ourselves, and our body, as you said earlier, is the outward manifestation of our 
inner soul. The thing is, when you're addicted to food, you don't have a simpatico. Other other uh, addictions do. Do you know that in the DSM, the um, Diagnostic uh, Mental Disorders, eating disorders were, were only the anorexia nervosa or the bulimia where you could get insurance coverage. There was no such thing for BED, binge eating disorder, mm -hmm. because you were just a pig. You were just a glutton. You weren't entitled to any kind of help. And it's very significant that in the last year or so, they have added BED, uh, binge eating disorder, as a mental health problem that does get insurance coverage. So this, this is very big. The thing is, when people move into addiction to satisfy their needs, and again, that's the fake mm -hmm. self-care, because right. it's only in the short run, they, a lot of these ways that people try to take care of themselves is hidden. You know, we don't see the clutter as home. That's the idea of addictions that many people, the point of the root cause of all addiction is to stop pain. And it's to stop the pain in a quick fix way because as we were talking about in a feeling phobic society, there is no forum for the expression of feelings and therefore the dissolution of the, the, this, the dissolving of those feelings. Let, so, but many, many addictions are visible and many addictions are invisible. Fat, a food addiction is a visible addiction, unlike nail biting, which can be somewhat hidden, or compulsive shopping, or compulsive TV watching, or compulsive gaming. So right. there is that extra stigma, which of course exacerbates the whole problem. I'd like to just clarify for everybody listening, this is a big eye-opener for clients when I work with them. When I see someone who repeatedly eats things that are not in her best interest and take her off the path that she has chosen for herself towards losing weight, optimum health, and creating brilliant health, and she keeps sabotaging with food... And, and I usually ask about overeating and food addiction, and immediately it's rejected because nobody wants the stigma of an addiction. And I think I used to have this perception that addictions, that was what everyone else had. That wasn't for me until I had a reality that I was using food to medicate feelings. And so I define it simply, and tell me if you agree with this, it's a, something that you do or a substance that you take that causes problems for you, and yet you continue to do the activity or take the substance. Simply, yeah. is, would you agree with that? Yes, yes, it sounds good to Karen. When I tell people this, so I think that you may have a food addiction, it's amazing to me the response and the denial and how thick it is. And, and a lot of times I'll say, well, why don't you go to Overeaters Anonymous and check it out and see if you identify and if there are any tools there that you can find that uh, can help you. And um, I, I get a lot of resistance. So how do you help someone who's obviously having a struggle with food to look into this? And what tools would you offer them? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it is so, so hard um, because people are in denial. They are resistant. And the, the food 
the habit of going to the food is so deeply ingrained. And again, if you look at the brain, studies on the brain, how the brain lights up and how it, you know, lights up those pleasure centers. And, um, and therefore, it, you know, the cravings continue. Um, and to have that interim period of time of anguish where you are between a rock and a hard place and you have the cravings and yet you don't have um, the food, it's I go to the power of the group and of always finding substitutes. What the whole 12-step movement is about is it's really it's really about odd man in if you if you think about the phrase odd man out i'm the weird one i'm the only one who's like this i'm ashamed of myself now i go to a group and i find everyone else who feels the exact same way so all these odd people out become odd people in and now we have a group of like-minded others who can share the anguish and be in a state of grace by by saying me too, me too, and I can commiserate. I understand what it's what it's like, and I will reward you, not only for one day, but for one minute that you don't pick up whatever that picking up substance would be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the twelve step movement, uh, the expression is rock bottom, and the idea that no one is willing to change unless. There, the pain of staying the same is is worse than the pain of change, and we we have also have an expression, uh, the idea of raising the bottom. Why do I have to lose my life, lose my family, lose my job, lose my self esteem, lose everything to get to this point? I can raise the bottom, see the handwriting on the wall, and say, I don't have to live like this. I do not have to live like this. There's got to be another way. There is a better way. And by the way, I know people who have found a better way. And you, Dr. Kieran, with your life, uh, I'm so impressed with how you as a professional share your your life and, and your previous de- torture, the, the torture of of being 100 pounds overweight and and not having any solutions initially, and then finding solutions through integrative health. So part of that that was finding the functional integrative medicine and treating the root causes, because I did have physical imbalances, hormone imbalance, toxicity, nutritional deficiency, but also a part of it was looking at how I was medicating my mental, emotional, spiritual self with sugar food and wine and not really addressing feelings that were there. And so as the, the weight started coming off, learning how to look at those feelings and, and process them was a big part of my healing. So it's a big part of what I work with people on, because if you've got weight, you've got, that's packed on feelings. So where do, where do these feelings come from, Dr. Duffy? Where do they come from? Why do we have them, this repository? And then what do we do about it? Wow, what a great question, Dr. Kieran. Where do feelings come from? Well, many people, uh, since we experience feelings in the body, many people think they just come from the body. 
but they actually come from the mind. They come from our thoughts. And this is so instantaneous. The, the model is thoughts, feelings, behavior, that even if your feeling is, is instantaneous, it is still coming from a thought. And for instance, if it's snowing, you know, one person will will think, oh my God, I have to go and shovel my car out to go to work. And the other will think, oh, yippee, I get to go skiing. So one is miserable and the other is happy. But it comes, it comes from the thought. And then what happens in a feeling phobic society is that people don't have learned not to tune into their feelings. They don't tune into their bodies. So when there is a thought, which is often very, very subconscious, in my language, uh, I call that exile, that there are parts of us that are exiled from our consciousness mm-hmm. so, so that we don't visit them. The exiled parts are very deeply, deeply buried in the basement of our psyches. And so they drive us, but we don't even know their, their, their origin. So all we know is, and not even to that huge degree, to, that we're triggered. We don't even experience the trigger. We just go automatically to the ice cream. So we cannot eliminate our exiled parts. Many of my patients will say, I want to get rid of this, you know, wounded little girl who's always getting in my way and and making my life miserable. No, we, we love our wounded parts back to health. We make contact with them. And I do that with my patients with through internal dialoguing and, and, and internal psychodrama and great imagery and, and very creative, intuitive um, contact with these different parts. And I have found that this is the best way to touch the subconscious because ordinarily we can't even get close to to our subconscious. And so making friends with these younger parts of us mm-hmm. um, is, is a huge way to connect with our subconscious and those wounds. But again, this is a process. This is, this is a process. So what can we do in the interim, in the short term? We can simply be aware that we are triggered and notice the physiological aspects of the triggering. What happens? Obviously, we our muscles get tense because they're getting us ready to fight or flee. And we contract and constrict our whole bodies and our breath and all of that, our jaw, all of that. So to just simply declare, it sounds like not a great big deal, Dr. Karen, but it is so big to simply be aware that you are triggered and to sit with it and to breathe into it and to stay with it and to see the source of it, as, as you say, you know, to, to get to the roots. Right. Because I believe, I believe, and this is not my quote, this is Richard Schwartz's quote, mm-hmm. is that triggers are trailheads. Triggers are trailheads. To so we, what's really eating you? Exactly. (laughs) You got it. Right. And so there it's good information. And it's kind of like I tell people that your disease or dis-ease in the body, the symptoms you're having, it's not a sign that you, you know, heartburn reflux is not a sign that you have a a Prilosec deficiency or a Mm -hmm. Zantac 
deficiency. It's a sign that there's something wrong that you need to pay attention to. And so like you're saying, triggers are trailheads to what's really eating you. It means that if you really start to look at, and I have an exercise I love to have people do where I have them get index cards and I have them, whenever they find themselves doing something that's quote unquote, not in their best interest, usually eating something that they really don't want to eat. I have them back up and write down on the index card, what happened right before I ate it? What was I thinking? What was I feeling? And then what happened right. that? And so they write kind of a timeline. Well, I picked my son up at school and, and he was upset because he didn't do well on a test. Okay. And I was thinking I should be able to calm him down if I'm a good mother. And I was feeling sad. Mm-hmm. And then it, you kind of play it forward. And this is an actual scenario I had with a patient where she kept sabotaging herself. And a lot of it was around her belief that to be a great mother meant that she should be able to alleviate all distress in her child, there which is impossible. And mm-hmm. so she would eat to not feel that because she continually was failing because no parent can c- completely eliminate the distress in their child. So once we could pull this belief out with that exercise, then she could look at, do I really want to believe that? And she said, no. (laughs) And so she consciously start to change it. Beautiful. You really got to the root of it, Dr. Kieran. And how many women have this, you know, perfectionistic notion of motherhood because That's in our culture, and by definition, we fail at perfection. But to get her to actually um, enunciate that the only way to be a great mother was to ultimately be the distress preventer and cure for her children, Um, yeah. And does it make sense in the light of day? Of course not. Of course not. But that's the whole idea, to unearth unearth these beliefs and to unburden, to help people unburden themselves from these toxic beliefs, which creates, again, the toxic self-care and the the fake self-care and the cosmetic self-care, you know, the belief that I am just a sex sex object and only loved for um, Mm -hmm. my physical appearance. Um, and then, unfortunately, in a in a superficial world where everyone is normally treated as objects and everyone is objectified, including men, men are more money objects, mm-hmm. although they also can be cosmetic objects. But yeah, but luckily, not everyone goes there. Not everyone goes to that place of being shallow, you know, hence the best-selling song. Um, We don't want shallowness ultimately. Right. And I've read statistics that about 97% of us probably come from dysfunctional families where we experience some type of abandonment, abuse, neglect, shaming, and that this is really fueling a lot of the addictions that we have. Um, There's that recent ACE study, Adverse Childhood Events, that really shows the correlation between uh, dysfunction in the family of origin and number of prescription medications, disease diagnoses. So what can we do to heal our families? Because it seems like a lot of this is coming from family and childhood. Mm. 
What can we do as individuals to heal our families or to heal our family relations? Yes. What? Because they're two separate things. All, all of the above. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I, I think that, you know, um, when I teach, I, I actually give people a model of a healthy family and as opposed to a dysfunctional family. And many people don't even know what a healthy family looks like and feels like. So we're looking at open channels of communication. We're looking at uh, non-judgment. We're looking at uh, guidance and instruction. We're looking at a healthy combination of, of rules. Uh, of structure that that have meaning to them, not not uh, chaotic rules, not no rules, not arbitrary rules, not rigid mm-hmm. rules, but rules that have a purpose and a function that the child knows about. So any any person, any adult or child, will be much more willing to follow a rule if they understand the the purpose of it. So all people, whether they're children or adults need a combination of structure and choice within that structure. So um, we have to, as adults, for ourselves, luckily, we, we, I think we need rules. And, but we can create our own rules. So we create our own rules for ourselves, our own sense of boundaries. We offer advice. We don't push. We recognize that, uh, like I'm thinking about one patient who is so miserable because she is the youngest of a, a traditional Italian family with all older brothers, and she was incested, and um, and she was basically ignored, and she's single, everyone else is married, they have their families, and she's kind of like on the outside, looking in, trying to find that love and approval within her family, her family of origin system. And the people are not so inclined. You know, it's the old story of you don't, you don't go looking for bread in a hardware store, or you don't go to an empty well. And um, so, so what's the answer here? Can you change them? No. Can you move into adapting to what is, you know, which is in Buddhism, it's, so this given, this being the case, how do I proceed? So my family members being blind and ignorant and rigid, um, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, I find other sources of healthy love, and I have recommended to this particular patient to find Codependence Anonymous, Anonymous to find Mm -hmm. adult children of alcoholics, Anonymous, and to find other people so you have that odd person in experience again. But that's not the only thing, Dr. Kieran. The other piece is what we mentioned earlier, which is taking care of the little wounded parts of us Mm -hmm. to build a relationship with them so that they know even if a family member has rejected them that they have you now. In other words, when we were chronologically a certain age, say eight years old, we didn't have us. We did not have a mature, wise version of ourselves as we do now. The functional so, adult, right? I'm sorry, what? The functional adult. 
Uh, yeah, if you're if you're well, it's more. It's even more than being a functional adult. It's it's being a wise adult that is connected to the cosmos. That is our soul, our source of wisdom. And we have this. We have a higher self. We have a higher self, and we utilize that higher self to make a to build a relationship with those younger wounded parts of us. And to love them back to health. So again, go, we're going looking at the combination of outer resources and inner resources, and it has to be both. And by the way, if you just want to look at the the family as a system, or all relationships are systems. You know the old adage: I can't change them, but I can change me. And in so doing influencing their behavior Mm -hmm. so typically women would come to therapy a lot more than men and they may have a very unhappy marriage and their husband refuses to come in for therapy well I will I will be able to help them with their marriages without even meeting their husbands because again I'm changing me and hopefully positively influencing you as a result Right. Well, if one part of a system changes, the, the rest of the system can't help but change. That's right. Dr. Duffy, you're bringing up some wonderful points, and I'm just wanting more. So if people listening are resonating, and maybe it's the first time that she's heard about, oh, that I have these exiled parts of myself, or she's heard that she has this wounded child, or that she has this wise adult self, how can she learn more about this and start to work with these parts of herself? Well, uh, you can go to my website, uh, drduffy.com, and um, you can look at, uh, I do uh, telephone uh, sessions uh, all, all throughout the country, and um, you can, if you want to see someone in person, if you're not in the New York, Long Island area, you go to Internal Family Systems. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's the name of it. It's called the Internal Family Systems Model. And hopefully you can find a, a local therapist. Otherwise, go to my website, drduffy.com. And that's D-R-D-U-F-F-Y dot com. Right. Right. And I love that you incorporate this because I, I was in therapy for years, probably most of my life, but it wasn't, it was actually a, life coach I was working with a few years back who introduced me to these the internal family system and working with the inner child mm-hmm. and so are all therapists not trained in this how, how come it's I not- know it's amazing isn't it well very few are it's mm-hmm. it's a relatively new concept or uh um we're looking at Richard was uh Schwartz was uh, family therapist, and he took the whole systems theory and then just applied it to our inner psyches. Mm-hmm. It's really only become popular in the last few years, not even 10 years. And for me, being a therapist for 30 years, and I've only been trained in internal family systems the last few years, 
that um, it has it's like the bow on on the gift of my therapy training it it has answered all my problems for me of how to help people it just it just ties a bow around all of my education so it's it's become very popular dr Kieran and there are more and more people being trained in internal family systems so um, but meanwhile we have a lot so if you go to a directory on that, you just Google internal family systems, okay. you'll find some therapists hopefully close to you. Wonderful. Well, you have given so much information and we are probably needing to wind down. So I want to leave everybody listening with some very concrete steps that they can take today if maybe they have an overt psychological disturbance, maybe they're having anxiety or depression, or maybe they're recognizing from hearing you speak that they might have a binge eating disorder or an eating addiction or food addiction or sugar addiction or some other dysfunction that's preventing them, causing resistance in their life and preventing them from achieving the brilliant health that they want, whether it's weight loss or healing a disease in the body. So what would be your top three steps that someone listening could start to do today to help themselves? Well, first would be to resolve that uh, any inner conflicts around not deserving and to just declare uh, I believe that all human beings have inherent worth and dignity just because they're human and by the way since I'm human I must have worth so I don't I don't I can just make that declaration and that affirmation I am worthy. I am worthy of all that is good in my life. And to include the and, not the but, I am worthy of, of care as, as well as other people are. So it's self-care and other care. That's a very important thing for women. So I am worthy of self-care and caring for others. And then the second is to notice your triggers and to just sit with your triggers and breathe into them and know that your feelings are not going to kill you, even though it seems so in the moment. And do some ventilation writing around your feelings and just write them out like without looking at any rules of writing. You just x-rated and, and poor penmanship, just anything. Just get it out, get it out, get it out, and then rip it up. That's very important that it's ripped up afterward, immediately afterwards so people can write freely and make contact with their subconscious because they know no one is going to be judging them. Right. And the third is to sit down and design a life, to sit down and say, well, this is what I want to do. Uh, I want to eat more nutritionally. I want to build exercise into my life. And how do I find out? For many people, there's not a lot of uh, money for that. So how do I find nutritious foods that are reasonably priced? Uh, how do I prepare? So many people say, I don't have time to, to make the good food. I myself cook in large batches. My freezer is my friend. 
I mean, when I tell you, Dr. Kieran, I am the world's laziest cook, I don't have a lot of time. I, w- I will dump a whole a bag of Brussels sprouts into some slightly salted water and then pop them into my mouth like snacks throughout the week. Um, nothing fancy. But uh, so to design a life and to say, what do I want to do? When do I want to do it? And then to access people like you and me to get some guidance and some help. Mm-hmm. Or if, if you can't afford a professional, to, to do bibliotherapy, to read books on nutrition. And there are a zillion things on YouTube and, and everywhere on TV, exercise classes. And now if you're uh, older, Silver, uh, Silver Sneakers is free. You can go to a gym, literally, that used to cost thousands of dollars a year. You can go for free, um, I believe, if you're 65 or older. So there's a lot of resources. It's just a matter of tapping into to it, but mostly to say, I deserve to tap into all the beautiful, viable resources and abundance that the world has to offer me. I love those top three tips. And so if you're listening, Pick one, make it very simple and start there. But there's something that you could do today, something that you could write down, uh, an action you could take, a conversation that you could have with yourself or someone else about this. And, and you will start noticing changes just from one action. And Dr. Duffy, the podcast is called Her Brilliant Health. And in, to my mind, you really exemplify what the podcast is all about because you are passionate about what you do. You are up on the latest in your profession, the internal uh, family systems theory. And you share your knowledge and your passion freely with the world on your radio show, in your writings, on your website. You exemplify her brilliant health. How, what does that mean to you and how would you define that, put it into words? Oh, well, thank you very much for the compliments, Dr. Kieran. Everything you said is so true. I love humanity. I, I work with women. Um, learning to love myself. So how would I put uh, her brilliant health uh, into words? Yes. What would you say to a woman who says, well, what does that mean? And how do I know if I have it? And how do I know if that's something I want? What does her brilliant health mean to you? Oh, well, I, I love the phrasing that you, you created, Dr. Karen. And when I think about brilliant, I think about bright, I think about light. Yeah. So do not put your light under a bushel. <laughs> Many people do. Most people keep their light under a bushel. I'm reminded of what Marianne Williamson said, that it's not um, fear of, of not having power. It's fear of our own power that keeps us down. So um, brilliant is about shining your own light inside, your inner light shine, and, and to know that that creates an outer life. So uh, what Thurman said around people, um, I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but the world needs people who are happy and full of themselves in the best sense of the word, We need healthy people around us. So get healthy and don't let your, 
your light go be stay under a bushel. Right. Let it shine. Well, thank you so much for letting your light shine, Dr. Duffy. Oh, and you too, Dr. Karen. A, a, a real pleasure. Real pleasure talking with you. Okay. So bye for now. Good luck to your audience. We will have contact information for Dr. Duffy in the show notes. And again, her website is drduffy, D-R-D-U-F-F-Y.com. You can get all the information there, but we will put the link in the show notes. Thank you so much, Dr. Duffy. Many, many blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Hopefully you're inspired to take action on some new information you received today. A step towards the bountiful, blissful, beautiful vitality that you deserve. If you have health topics and questions you'd like addressed, please message me on my Facebook page or visit KieranDunstonMD.com and let me know. I'd love to help. Remember to share this podcast on social media and send it to your friends and family who could benefit from it too. If you love the show, please go right now to iTunes, write a review, and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be the first to know when future episodes are available. Thank you again for joining me. And remember, achieving optimal health isn't magic, it's science.